Everyone should experience a wrong accusation, if only to learn how not to be quicker to accuse another. Chakawanera Obi. As in all moral panics, an accusation is enough to destroy a person's life. Hysteria trumps evidence. Carol Tarvis. Do not cast away an honest man for a villain's accusation. William Shakespeare. last one i know and um i said that lady's name wrong it's tavris not tarvis and god knows if i said the first wrong name wrong (laughs) and so it begins (laughs) that's the only accented things rest are good old american (laughs) well hello and welcome hello welcome to another situation welcome to jessica and that is Ingrid. So you okay. don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. What I'm doing. You told me a name and it went in and out of my head because it was not the person I was doing. So, so I am going to... Oh, go ahead. We're back with more mistaken identity. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So what were you going to say? Um, so I was going to say there is a story, but I have to give a little backstory, like back history to stuff. So okay. It makes the story more understandable, I guess. I don't know. Or okay. I just wanted to use my time that I d- took a deep dive down the web hole. <laughs> the web <laughs> hole? The web hole. Oh, I do want to say, let's give a shout out to one in three. Um, I listened to, I didn't finish Kathy's second episode yet, but oh my goodness, I love listening to her and my jaw dropped and I screamed at the podcast so many times, like really? what just about the, yes, yeah, about what a piece of poop some of these people in her life were. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but oh, wait until you hear the second episode with her, because despite all these pieces of poop, she, she's amazing. She's doing such incredible things. It's super exciting. I, I love both episodes. I, I love, love listening to her. Thank you. I could listen to her talk like all day long. I know, right? <laughs> yes. And I like, um, I think she was calling her lawyer, her solicitor. I was like, yes. oh, that is such a, I think, are we the only country that call them lawyers? Or attorneys? Uh, well, I think attorney is used elsewhere. Which is actually interesting because the story I'm doing next week, uh, they um, talk about a solicitor. Oh, okay. Yes. Since we are giving shout outs, I want to give another shout out. Um, if anyone is in the DFW Metroplex area and you are in need of electric work, there's a company called Gravity Electric that is owned by a veteran. And also my friend. <laughs> so if you need any electric work, anything upon anything, um, Gravity Electric. I'm not getting promo, paid for that. but Promo code. Promo code? Situation. No promo code? <laughs> <laughs> promo code Go Navy. <laughs> Quickly, I don't know if you mentioned that one in three was a podcast. If you If you skipped right over the little commercial thingies that we have at the beginning of this, you don't know this, that one in three is my second podcast. 
Mm-hmm. That I'm enjoying that. Jessica hopefully will join me as a uh, professional expert at some point. Maybe. You sound really good though. This sounds very professional. Like really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> listen to me. What? And then I listened to our podcast and I was like, oh, are we in a garage? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> um, so I just start. You have anything else to say? I do not. So my sources are Crime Magazine, A Terrible Case of Mistaken Identity, 1851 by Michael Thomas Berry, Wikipedia, of course, Encyclopedia.com, My Gold Rush Tales. Um, it's called The Execution of James Stewart by John Putnam, um, American Heritage, Vigilante Justice, and the National Registry of Exonerations, which the website is law.mich.edu. Okay. I totally know what you're doing. I know exactly the story. You, no one would know the story unless they have <laughs> like a ridiculous amount of money or my amount of money. Nope. <laughs> That's not <laughs> amount, of, amount of interest in um, California in the 1850s. All right. So this is where it takes place. Here's the back, the background. So the Barbary Coast was a red light district during the 1850s and the early 1900s in San Francisco. They featured dance halls, concert saloons, bars, jazz clubs, variety shows, and brothels. So San Francisco became a haven for criminals following the gold rush of 1849. The population increased, this is insane, from 492 in 1847 to over 25,000 in 1848. Two years. What? That's crazy. I know that I like, I don't even know what percentage that is. It's just insane. Okay. So between the population growth and the lack of a strong government, crime and lawlessness was allowed to flourish. Criminals went there because of a notoriety and potential for dishonesties. (laughs) I had a hard time choosing that word. That's why I'm giggling. Sorry. Uh, Volunteers from the Mexican-American War were discharged and settled here. Some were from New York City gangs from the Five Points and the Bowery Districts. They organized a gang called the Hounds, who paraded around like they were the military. In 1849, they changed their name to the Regulators and harassed Mexicans Mount and Hispanics. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought of. And harassed Mexicans and Hispanics while extorting money to provide protection to small businesses. Near the end of 1849, several ships full of criminals from Bit- British British <laughs> British penal colony in Sydney, Australia were giving were given quote unquote tickets of leave, which I will cover what they are, so don't ask any questions. And they would find their way to the crime ridden San Francisco. These criminals became known as the Sydney Ducks, due to the area town in San Francisco being called Sydney Town. They dominated the neighborhood and they created low class bar rooms and brothels. They actually so um the website called them groggeries. And I was like, what in the world is a groggery? And so that's what I got from encyclopedia.com. <laughs> a groggery is a low-class bar room. <laughs> they even set fire to San Francisco six times between 1849 and 1851 to distract citizens from their quote-unquote pillaging and murdering. They would actually wait for the winds to turn southwest so Sydney town wouldn't go up in flames which is crazy, like smart, but crazy. 
In response to all of the crime, the San Francisco citizens created the Vigilance Committee. In 1851, a group of citizens, including a large number of business people, under the leadership of Sam Bronin, formed the first San Francisco Vigilance Committee. They arrested and tried two ducks, two of the Sydney ducks, and they hung them. This vigilante justice was very common in the Old West. The Vigilance Committee was the largest and the most organized in U.S. history. The hangings scared the other ducks, and they fled the city. Within two weeks of those hangings, Sydney Town only had a few dance halls, groggeries, and brothels remaining. This quiet lasted for two years. These hangings also scared corrupt judges and government officials in San Francisco, and they actually started doing their job <laughs> after that. Wow. But by 1852, corrupt government officials were back and almost bankrupted the city. So, yay. In 1856, after a county supervisor named Jason P. Casey killed newspaper editor James King, the committee came back into existence under the leadership of William T. Coleman to combat lawlessness among the general population and corruption and mismanagement in the city government. The committee began by trying and executing Casey and Charles Cora, who was also a notorious criminal. Next, the committee barricaded the streets in an area where the crime rate was high and captured and punished all the criminals they could find within the barricades. <laughs> How did, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing just those little seahorse-looking barricades. Obviously, it's not With that. like the, the orange and the white stripes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, don't, um, it didn't, I didn't actually dig in to see what they barricaded it with. <laughs> Probably people, horses. Yeah. In the meantime, other citizens, including a number of city officials and attorneys, had formed the quote-unquote law and order faction to oppose the vigilantes. Uh, David Smith Terry, he was a justice of the California Supreme Court, tried to prevent one of the vigilantes from arresting Reuben Maloney on the ground. I, I don't know who Reuben Maloney is. I just thought I'd keep his name in there. On the ground that the committee had no legal authority to conduct arrests. A fight ensued in which Terry, the Supreme Court justice, <laughs> stabbed a vigilante. <laughs> Although Terry was imprisoned for a few weeks, the vigilante's attempts to put him on tra trial failed, and the committee disbanded a short time later. By that time, it had lost most of its supporters and its power had waned. Although the committees declared that the safety of the public was their purpose, the committees ignored the principles of government on all levels. Their trials did not follow standard procedures, but used only a skeletal version of established legal practices. So that is what the Vigilance Committee is. Ticket to leave. Did you want to know what a ticket to leave was, you said, Ingrid? I did. Okay. Telepathically. So ticket of leave. A ticket of leave, it was a document given to convicts that showed they could be trusted with some freedom. It originated in Britain, and the purpose was to alleviate the responsibility of the British government of feeding convicts who were being transported from the UK to Australia, New South Wales, and Tasmania, where they had the colonies set up for criminals. <laughs> convicts who could, quote unquote, support themselves were given the ticket of leave. Tickets were used as rewards for good behavior and had been given to, quote-unquote, gentlemen convicts upon their arrival in the colony. And I think gentlemen convicts were just people like white-collar crimes. That's how I took it to be. Some were also used for employment, although travel was supposed to be limited to the assigned district. At first, it did not matter how much time was served on the original sentence. 
But in 1821, regulations were made that a minimum sentence had to be served. And one of the examples was like, you had to serve four years of a seven-year sentence. But before, you could have served like two days of a 20-year sentence and get a ticket of leave. Once a full sentence was served, a certificate of freedom would be issued. If a convict had um, a lifted sentence, they could either get a ticket to leave or conditional or full pardon. Ticket of leave holders were permitted to marry, bring their families from Great Britain, and acquire property. They could not carry firearms or board a ship. If they completed their sentence, they could get all their rights returned except being able to leave the colony. Tickets of leave had to be renewed annually, and if you had one, you had to muster daily, which, like, check in, and you also had to attend church services. Would you really want to bring your family to those colonies? (laughs) No! Hey, kids, come on down with the rest of the criminals. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's crazy. It's crazy that... Britain's just like, oh, well, see you later. We're going to ship all of our convicts to a whole different continent. (laughs) Good luck. Now onto my mistaken identity. English Jim. Here enters James Stewart, a.k.a. English Jim. He was an Englishman who was sent to prison in Australia for forgery as a young as a young person, it did not say his age. And then um, there's some mixed research. He was either given a ticket of leave or he escaped and came to San Francisco. So I saw both, uh, hence the ticket of leave stuff. He was a Sydney duck and was said to have committed or been part of more murders and burglaries than any other man in California at the time. He was arrested in Sacramento in December 1850 for killing Sheriff Moore of Marysville, um, which they also called Auburn, um, and stealing $4,000 from the sheriff's house. He was incarcerated for a couple of days and then was able to escape. On February 20th, 1851, San Francisco police arrested who they believed to be English Jim for the murder of Sheriff Moore. Half a dozen identi- half a dozen men identified English Jim to the police, and these men supposedly knew English Jim pretty well. He was also identified by J.C. Jansen as one of the people who robbed Jansen and Bond Company the night prior on February 19th, 1851. So what happened that night, two men went into Jansen and Bond. They knocked JC unconscious and stole $2,000 worth of gold coins. But lo and behold, it was not James Stewart. The man's name was Thomas Berdu. He was adamant that he was not James Stewart and tried everything to prove who he was. And it did not work. The circumstantial evidence of looking similar, of looking similar, similarly physical that just did not roll off the tongue. How about at say all. physically similar? Well, I put similar physically of looking similar physically. So I, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, as English Jim and the incorrect identifications of people that knew Jim overrode his pleas. The physical similarities are kind of crazy. So English Jim was known for having a small scar over his left eye and ear and his left forefinger had been amputated at the first joint. So I immediately thought of dad. (laughs) We need to rename him. (laughs) Dad is now English English Jim. English tubes. (laughs) Okay, so it's crazy, but you'll never believe it. But Thomas Perdue had the exact same injuries. Like the scar over the left eye and the ear and the amputated left forefinger. 
Um, Berdoux was then transferred to the police station under police guard. Citizens tried grabbing him to hang him, believing him that he was the infamous English Jim. On the way to and from the courthouse, citizens tried to take him away from police custody to hang him. Good for Berdoux. They were unsuccessful, which is kind of crazy because back then police were not paid well and they were completely understaffed. So it's amazing that these police were able to keep this guy safe or that they even cared to keep this guy safe. Like it's just, this guy's lucky. I was just about to say that they even cared or tried. Right, right, exactly. So on on February 21st, there was a huge crowd outside the courthouse just to make sure that justice was served. Uh, It was called a popular jury. So I don't know if that means like a jury of his peers, but a popular jury was picked to try Purdue but they were unable to agree on the conviction. There were several more attempts to raid the jail and capture Badu, and they were still unsuccessful while he was waiting after the popular jury. He made in jail for a week, and on 3-14-1851, he was tried and convicted of assault and robbery of J.C. Jansen and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. After this trial, he was transferred to Marysville, where he was tried for the murder of Sheriff Moore. So uh, the trial... My eyes are going cross-eyed. I'm sorry. The trial was from June 28th to July 4th, 1851. The only question for the court was, Burdue really James Stewart? Like, they had no doubt that James Stewart was the person that killed Sheriff Moore. So his whole trial was, are you really James Stewart? They already, oh, they already knew James Stewart killed Sheriff Moore. <laughs> Witnesses testified on the resemblance of Burdue to English Jim, and he was found guilty. The jury sentenced him to death, but it was postponed for several months. I did not see a reason why it was postponed. So in 1851, English Jim comes back to San Francisco, and he tried to rob a ship anchored in the harbor. The crew overtook him and captured him. English Jim went on trial for this crime on July 11th, 1851. So if you remember, Burdue's trial ended July 4th, so a week earlier. After he found out that he could not bribe or sway his jury, English Jim began confessing to a plethora of crimes to include the murder of Sheriff Moore and the assault and burglar of J.C. Jansen. After his confession was read in court, he was unanimously sentenced to death immediately. Two hours later, he was hung. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah, because it took him two hours to make a makeshift scaffold. So that's why it took it. Yeah. And then to march him down to where they made the scaffold. So, And I think they gave him two hours to like prepare for death or something. I don't know. Um, So (laughs) I was going to use this quote as an intro, but his final words were... (laughs) This is a damned tiresome business. Get it over with. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Um, so they actually hung him at the Market Street Wharf. And I did see pictures of it, but they were copyrighted pictures. So I, I can't copy and paste them and put them on our social media. But uh, And they're drawings. They're not like actual. Of course, they're not actual pictures, but they're drawing depictions of it. <laughs> it's, it's from the new iPhone 14. <laughs> like just like how James Earl had Snapchat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so thankfully, members of the vigilance committee was there and heard um uh was English Jim's confession. So they wanted to bring justice to Thomas Purdue. So they rode to Marysville as soon as they heard the confession and they let them know about about the confession and his hanging. 
Uh, so I guess it wasn't right away. It was at least two hours after the confession. Uh, Thomas Perdue was released and was given $2,000 to ease the pain he had suffered. He actually petitioned for $4,000, which is what he spent trying to prove his innocence. Can you imagine that? Like, what? how much was that back in the day? But in um, January like 1850- Right? It's got to be an insane amount. Oh, and he's insane? only at- Insane. What did you say? I I must end insane. I said insane. It's not insane. Oh. <laughs> it's so insane. Uh, and he was only asking for the legal fees to get covered, not even more compensation for being in jail. Yeah, or for like emotional pain. <laughs> right. So I have a I have a qu- therapy afterward and everything. Uh, mm. So I have a question: Did mm. they when they arrested the real English? Jim, did it not click in their heads that, oh, the other guy's in custody, so it couldn't have been him? Well, I mean, you have to think it was 1850s and like word didn't really spread that easily. So this was down in San Francisco and um, Thomas Perdue was up in Marysville. I don't which know is geographically north. how far away that is. I also don't know how geographically far away that is, but I know it's far and like it has to be word of mouth that the news would travel or through uh, the newspaper. So if okay. it wasn't for the vigilance committee riding up there to tell them, like he, who knows? I suppose they didn't have America's Most Wanted yet. No. Or even did they have telegraphs on yet? Beep, 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 or, beep, beep. Or the FBI. Where Definitely was Paul Revere? Mm. Paul Revere already came and gone. <laughs> 1850s <laughs> he was dead where was little revere jr what is that um the pony express you remember that tv show back in the day oh my gosh yeah, we, i used to watch it with dad of. all the time did we have a crush on some boys or something in it we probably sure did wild bill hickok whatever actor <laughs> played wild bill hickok of course in, um, yeah uh <laughs> anyways um so uh in 1853, the California Senate denied it. And there was actually, um, I didn't put this part down, but I just remember reading it. And there was some politician that said, if we allow every prisoner who's wrongly convicted to get the amount that they request, the state's going to be bankrupt. <laughs> so it's like, you guys got it wrong that much, that many times. <laughs> That's how about don't get it wrong. Yeah. How about use that money to pay your police force to do their job correctly? So there's enough of them. Hmm. Anyways. So days later, uh, after this, Bordeaux was seen boarding a little boat and was never seen again. <laughs> where did he go? I don't know. I don't know where he went or what happened to him. He just got on a little boat. And so in my memory or in my memory in my imagination it was a little rowboat like just like and he's like i'm out of here <laughs> just rowing away into the pacific ocean uh a and scary then, place to be in a little rowboat yeah that water's cold especially in january goodness um and the only thing i have to add is that uh, there's also a tv episode from the death valley days tv show called Alias James Stewart, and it aired uh, 10-13-1961. Very interesting. Well, well mm-hmm. done. So that's the story of English Jim and Thomas Perdue. Okay. 
How crazy uh, though. A scar there over your left eye, a scar that, over your ear and missing your left forefinger. Did they, do you know, did they look alike any other way? Like the same build, same, same anything? build. Yeah. But I mean, you would think that English Jim had an English accent. It didn't say if Thomas Verdue had an accent. <laughs> Everybody did back then. Good yeah. day, sir. That's how Purdue. they spoke. Purdue. I don't actually, it sounds English. Purdue sounds like an English name. And my wise extensionness of last name. It sounds like chicken. Burke. Purdue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I got. I hope you enjoyed. I did enjoy. Okay, let's do some bees. Be identifiable. Okay. Be a golden ticket holder. I know it wasn't a golden ticket, but <laughs> I got the golden ticket. Ticket <laughs> of leave. It was called ticket of leave. Yeah, I know, but well, that like means you have to have ticket. been a convict. Okay, so here's my don't. Don't be a convict. <laughs> oh, my don't was don't be a criminal. <laughs> oh. Don't be um a Sydney duck or a vigilante or a regulator. Oh, be a regulator. No, they were bad. Warren G. Well, don't be a corrupt judge. How about that? Okay. Okay. We'll be back next week with another mistaken identity. Dun, dun, dun. Goodbye. Bye. If you'd like to reach out to us or submit your situation, please contact us at another situation podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at another situation podcast. We're also on Facebook at another situation. Another situation is produced and edited by 0.5 Pinoy. Music is written and performed by Tim Crow. Another situation.